We've definitely changed it to where it is a team process. Before we had a bar manager and they alone would come up with it. And once in a while, we'd get feedback on some names or whatever. But when I took over the program, I said, you know what? I'm not the only one doing this. I said, the front of house team and the back of house, the entire team contributes to the success of Dirty Habits. So why shouldn't they contribute to the success of the bar program? From StudioPod Media, this is the Muddler Podcast. The Muddler exists to tell stories behind your favorite cocktail bars. Cocktail bars become beloved by their patrons for many different reasons. Everything from the vibe, friendly service, convenient location, great music, and of course, the delicious, well-crafted cocktails. But each bar has its own unique story, why it exists and how it came to be, as well as the cocktails made and who actually serves them. I'm TJ Bonaventura, and I'm the host of The Muddler. On each episode, we'll sit down with the owners and bar managers behind some of the most innovative and forward-thinking bars around. Each season will center around cocktail bars in a specific city. Up first, San Francisco. Before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Golden Rule Spirits. So Golden Rule Spirits is a producer of two canned cocktails, the Old Fashioned and the Margarita. I know what you're thinking, canned cocktails. Not really my thing, but I'm telling you guys, if you like a good crafted cocktail, you're going to love these drinks. They're perfect for going to the golf course, for bringing them on the road, vacation, camping, and they are dangerously good. They're about the quarter size of a normal can. You pop these bad boys open, you throw them over ice, and you're good to go. So again, Golden Rule Spirits, goldenrulespirits.com, at Golden Rule Spirits on IG. Check them out. Dirty Habit is located at 12 4th Street, just south of Market Street in the heart of downtown San Francisco. The bar straddles the line between the two most prominent downtown SF neighborhoods, the Financial District and Soma. This works very well for what Dirty Habit offers. The FIDI is SF's most densely filled working district. Salesforce, LinkedIn, Yelp, you name it. The FIDI is where these tech giants workers flock in a pre-pandemic world on the daily. As such, bars in the area primarily cater to the city's tech-casual workforce. These bars skew friendly but casual, the type of spots where you might meet for a happy hour and a couple of rounds, but likely then depart to carry on your night elsewhere. Soma carries a bit of a different reputation. Short for south of Market Street, Soma has a more of a gritty industrial vibe. The area is harder to pigeonhole into one characterization or highlight. It certainly has its fair share of tech companies too, but it's also home to most of SF's nightclubs and later night options for fun. Soma is definitely an area where your imagination can run a bit wilder and where you can have a more adventurous night as compared to the rest of the city. Dirty Habit threads the needle between its two neighborhoods very skillfully. For one thing, Dirty Habit is located within Hotel Zelos, the first hotel bar we've covered here on The Muddler. Right away, as a sleek hotel-attached option, it's a classier choice than a lot of the other spots. The bar sports a vast, dark, swanky interior, but also has a welcoming outdoor patio that comfortably fits 80 to 120 people. If you're looking for an elevated place for after-work drinks or a spot to celebrate a special occasion, Dirty Habit definitely fits the bill. The bar and dining room is dimly lit, noir-inspired, and comfortable, inviting deep conversation more so than trivial chit-chat. The space is decorated by large wooden furniture and sizable metal walls. As you sip on the craft cocktails and settle into the space, it's easy for your mind to wander to where else the night may take you. This is all before you consider the name of the bar itself. Dirty Habit definitely encourages you to consider it as a gateway to the nightlife of Soma. 
over drinks in this very same interior, maybe even our imaginations started to wander. We sat down with Maritza Sabino, the head of the cocktail program at the bar, to dive into the history of the space and learn more about the drinks they serve. The idea was to be kind of the nitty gritty part of San Francisco. This is what San Francisco is like, especially down here in the Soma and Fidei area, where it might look a little industrial, but it might look a little comforting. You get out to the patio and it does have that Yerba Buena feel with the bamboo and the nice cool air, the water going on the little fountain. So it becomes a different experience depending on what room you're sitting in. And the idea of it was it would be kind of an oasis away from the hustle and bustle of downtown Market Street because we're right here on the corner and the convention center. But it was trying to draw people in by focusing on their dirty habits, marijuana use and things that happen in the tenderloin that we don't always talk about. Those are the dirty habits. Alcohol is probably one of the more tame ones, but the idea of dirty habit is to be a bar-focused location. So more than we push the food, we definitely focus on our cocktail program and our bar program. The one thing I really love about Dirty Habit here is while it is smack dab in the middle of the hotel, you get off and there's hotel rooms right outside here. But when you come in, you can't tell that you're in a hotel at all, like at all. So there's that aspect that I really love. Like it is kind of its own little oasis. Obviously, when you think of oasis, you think of like desert oasis, palm trees, you know, a little pond there, whatever. But here it's like completely different. You are transformed into a whole different arena whether you're visiting or you worked in FIDI and you wanted to come out and just have a drink, you have the option here of this really cool dimly lit bar, or you have a completely different patio, which is very rare in San Francisco. Very rare. So when you're coming up with either the menu or when you're coming up with hiring people or like, what is the experience? Like, does it change from room to room? Or like, I mean, how do you, you know, when people say like, oh, you know, what should I get at Dirty Habit? Do you recommend drinks that are different depending on like what room you're in? Like, maybe I'm just thinking out loud here, but I love to know more about the vibe and the ambiance that you would hope that your service can provide the patron. We definitely have a couple of things on the menu that are patio focused. So, you don't see a lot of restaurants that will have a Sancerre by the glass, but we specifically love having a Sancerre because it's so friendly for the patio, especially when it's warm outside. They're easy to drink. We have lighter bodied pinots, lighter cocktails. Even though we have a big whiskey collection, we don't always focus so much on whiskey cocktails for the patio, but we'll have a fair share for inside. And it'll change as we get to different times or different months in the year, we have different ingredients coming in and the styles will change. It'll get a little bit more warmer and have heavier flavors during the fall months and the winter months because people are looking for that warm, but we'll still have something light that'll match that patio vibe. We also try to look for things that are a little bit on trend or maybe a little sexy or a little bit fun. So one of the ones that we've worked on, I love tiki cocktails. I love Last Ride, Zombie Village, Smugglers. I love going to tiki bars. And I wanted to bring some of the tiki vibe here without being a full out tiki bar. So we'll do something fun with it. I'm actually using a plantation Fiji style rum for a slushy because it was a patio thing. I wanted something for the patio that people are going to enjoy. So to your question, yes, a lot of what we build and design for the cocktail menu and the wine selection will focus on, will it work in the patio or will it work in the dining room? Maritza's pandemic story for the bar is an interesting and particularly challenging one for two reasons. One, hard reality was just the location of the bar. 
As all SF residents know, downtown SF really shut down with the onset of COVID. People coming into work, commuters coming from elsewhere in the Bay Area, foot traffic and FIDI, you name it, that all came to a grinding halt in March of 2020. This is something that we covered at length in our episode with Kevin Dietrich from PCH in episode six. But what was really fascinating to talk about with Marisa was Dirty Habits' status as a hotel bar. When traveling and hotel traffic came to a stop, so did the hotel's business. The building shut down for good, and it didn't make sense financially or logistically to do to-go cocktails or anything like that. So Maritza and her team were away from the bar for a very long time. But there were opportunities for new lines of business. Dirty Habits' location is unique for a hotel bar. It's not located right off the lobby or the main floor or the rooftop or the highest floor. No, it's actually located on the fifth floor of the hotel. It's a pretty jarring experience to show up at the bar for a drink. Take the elevator up, you get off. The bar is right there. When bar patrons walk to the bathroom, they have to pass by guest rooms to get there. I'm sure this setup hasn't always been easy for the bar or for the guests of the hotels looking for a cozy escape during their stay. But the unique layout of the space allowed the business to open up a new opportunity of revenue. If people were still able to travel or, you know what I mean? Like if there was some way where you could give it to guests, but there's no guests, right? And you guys are in FIDI. And so you're in FIDI, which is a place that was hit extremely hard during and still is hit extremely hard during the pandemic. So there couldn't be a whole lot of pivot. No. And it was hard. Even when we came back, it was definitely hard. We felt the difference. Most of our clientele actually come from our own building next door at 22. And with all of their offices being empty, there's no one coming by. There was not even anyone coming from the Marriott, even though the view had shut down as well. Nobody was coming to visit. We had opened back up in April 1st. And I was shocked. Of 2021. Yeah. Of 2021. I was shocked that my reservations were over 50 people or 50 covers. I said, that's not bad for April 1st. By Saturday, because we had opened on a Thursday, by Saturday, we're looking at close to 100 covers. Wow. And I think people had realized that, hey, there's a place in FIDI that is reopening. And since then, it's been a gradual increase of every Friday, every Saturday, we're now hitting 100 covers, 150, 200, 220, to the point where suddenly we're calling everybody back. We're like, hey, we need you to work. Now we have private events. We have groups coming in. And it's getting there, but it has been a three, four month struggle. The staff is tired and we've noticed that because we're more of a bar and a restaurant, people are coming for a dining experience, but they're also coming for the cocktails. And I was actually talking to someone else about this the other day, but people have forgotten that restaurants, hotels and bars are not a necessity to society. They're a luxury and treating the staff like something below them has been pretty common. And it's been hard to keep up everyone's spirits when they're tired and it's been busy. And sometimes guests just aren't as appreciative of what we're doing or what we're trying to do here. And it's been a balance of trying to give them a menu that they understand, but also trying to keep to who we are, but also trying to not overwork our staff with doing something that's labor intensive and making it easy for everyone and making it approachable. You hit on something there too. Is there anything that's like really changed since last year and during the pandemic and shutdown when you guys have come back? Maybe it's the way, I mean, you mentioned some of the guests haven't been, you know, they've forgotten how to make orders, if you will. But is there anything like from a dirty habit side of thing that you guys have realized that you want to change that is now a base in the fabric of what you guys want to be going forward? Not necessarily. A dirty habit has been pretty flexible in how we do things. 
obviously you've gone to QR code menus and you know, looking for new digital ways to do things. I always keep open table up to date so that people are able to have new experiences. Something we did adjust for the pandemic was that we started private dining and not the big 20, 30, 100 people dining events. We actually converted two hotel rooms, removed the furniture from it and turned them into private dining rooms. So we advertise it. It's $75 per person. It's a prefix menu. And we highlight some of chef selections of what he wants to do for the season. We'll put a couple of cocktails on there as suggestions. There's the QR code. So if people wanted to look at the full menu, I'll add a list of wines that I think that will go well with it. There's a Bluetooth speaker so you can create your own vibe, but there's couches, fur rugs, and it's this private, intimate experience for maybe two to six people. So you can have a dinner and not expose yourself to people you don't know, but still have that dining out experience. We're doing about one to two a day because I only have two rooms. And we promise for each reservation, they get the room for the entire day. What? This yeah. I've never heard of this before. This is it seems like this should be like standard across every fine dining restaurant within a or, or bar within a hotel. This is awesome. Well, we're we're pretty unique as we have yeah. several rooms right behind the restaurant. And to be honest, nobody really wanted to stay in the room yeah. behind the restaurant. So we converted it and we started off with a couple of like influencers trying to get people into it. And then I opened it up to open table as an experience. So it's bookable on open table. It's got a little description. I think the favorite thing for a lot of people is that it's a private restroom. Mm-hmm. You don't have to go into the public restroom. Yeah. The only thing is you have to be comfortable with your Group, yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. gonna probably hear you but a lot of people enjoyed it because they don't have to go out and have to wait in line or something because mm-hmm. you know restrooms are small and going into a restroom in a pandemic with people you don't know can be a little bit scary mm-hmm. but yeah the idea of it was to offer something where you can keep to your bubble but still experience a dining out experience Okay, we're taking a quick break to talk about Golden Rule Spirits. I was recently on a guy's trip where we had an amazing time, but one of the things that really saved this guy's trip was because it was a little last minute, was the Golden Rule Spirits, specifically the Old Fashions. When I told my buddies about the Old Fashioned that they definitely need to put it on ice, they didn't believe me, they wanted to go ahead and just drink it themselves, I said, okay, the room was split 50-50. Some of them went no ice with no cherry. Some of them went straight out of the can. And let's just say the guys who went out of the can went to bed a little bit early. So if you want to try some of these extremely strong, tasty cocktails from Golden Rule Spirits, go to goldenrulespirits.com and Golden Rule Spirits on Instagram. Maritza took a break to make one of her favorite cocktails on the menu. It's most definitely a cocktail bar. There's a hefty menu of 20 cocktails with some additional shot and shooter options to choose from as well. The bar highlights its spirit selection and makes it very clear that the spirits rule the day. Don't worry, there's a variety of beers, wines, and ciders available too. But the first thing that stood out to us is that Maritza and her team love to push the boundaries of their creativity. Not only do they work to keep the cocktail options fresh and exciting, but they love naming their drinks with a creative flair. When I come up with names for cocktails, I like to find something that has a tie-in to what the idea of it was. So like the Halo Paloma, actually one of my servers came up with the Halo Paloma name because they tasted it. They said, oh, this reminds me of Squirt down in Mexico. And I said, we'll do it as a Paloma. And I said, what else should we call it? I mean, everything is a Paloma. And she goes, oh, let's call it a Halo Paloma because the salt is like an angel's halo. 
So that's how we came up with like, okay, we'll put the salt, but instead of doing just chunks of salt, let's do a crushed salt. So it's very fine and very delicate and almost sparkles when it goes out to the patio. That's how we come up with some of this stuff is what does it make you feel? We have a really funny story. Steve, our bartender here today, he came up with a cocktail. It's the one on the menu called the Blue and Fancy. The idea was that when he did it, because it's got the butterfly pea flower, it changes color from white to that pink to the blue, and then it changes purple. And he wanted something that kind of represents the bisexual flag. And when I looked at it, before he told me what the name is, I said, dude, that drink looks bisexual as fuck. (laughs) And he says, yeah, yeah, it does. I think his original name for it was the Oakham's Razor. Okay. I said, okay, that's pretty interesting, but pretty philosophical for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. I don't know if they would understand that. And we were sampling the drink and then I went out and took pictures with it and I had a table that goes, hey, what is that? And I said, it's a new drink that we're testing. He wants to call it the BAF. That was the acronym for the bisexual as fuck was BAF. And I said, do you guys want to try it? And they said, yeah, we'd love to. So I left it there at the table and I said, tell you what, if you really like it and you come up with a name for it, we'll use your name. So we let a guest come up with it and this guest came over and they were really excited. They said, we've got it, we've got it. It's blue and fancy. So that still kept to the B-A-F. Mm-hmm. So our bisexuals comment was still there, but now the guests got to be involved with it. So sometimes coming up with names, it's either the team that comes up with it or a really cool guest will come up with it. And we said, okay. I like that. You're the first that we've heard that took names from somebody who was here like visiting or like having a drink that wasn't part of the overall program. I love that. I actually love asking guests. Like, if a guest shows some interest in the drinks or things that we're building or things that we're making and they really enjoy it, sometimes it's really fun to make them part of the process. They feel a little bit special and then they want to come back and they're like, hey, I helped come up with that one. Or we'll even write little notes. Hey, so-and-so came up with this. I think the guest who came up, their name was Utah. And now I'm going to remember it because their name was so unique. It's like Utah came up with a name for this drink. And it's actually one of our more popular ones because of the color changing effect in it. And it's a gin cocktail. And everyone knows gin cocktails are hot right now in the city. I have to have two gin cocktails because they're so fun. But yeah, I like including other people. I don't always want it to come from me or always come from the bartenders. Sometimes even just three people doesn't have, we don't have enough ideas to come up with stuff somebody else somewhere is going to come up with something. We said, you know what? That's a really good idea. Cool. Let's go with that. I love that because there's definitely a team element to this. And I'm going to make the assumption that there's also a team element when it comes to creating an idea all the way from conception to landing on the menu. So can you talk about what the process is here at Dirty Habit when someone has an idea when it comes time to either create a new menu or just it's time to replace something. What is that process like? Because it's unique everywhere from what we understand, but I'm really curious to know what it's like for you guys. So we've definitely changed it to where it is a team process. Before we had a bar manager and they alone would come up with it. And once in a while, we'd get feedback on some names or whatever. But when I took over the program, I said, you know what? I'm not the only one doing this. I said, the front of house team And the back of house, the entire team contributes to the success of Dirty Habits. So why shouldn't they contribute to the success of the bar program? I might select the wine, but I want the cocktails, which have always been our focus, to be something that everyone gets a say in or they get to understand how it came to be. And I don't want someone to go, oh, yeah, here's this drink. That's all I know about it. They should know what's the style. Where did it come from? How do we build it? What kind of whiskey do we use? What kind of gin do we? Why do we use this gin instead of this gin? Why is Tanqueray selected and not Sapphire? Or why do I want to stay away from all those? And why am I selecting a Japanese gin versus something else? So when we come up with it or come up with a cocktail, 
I'll ask the team and I'll say, hey, do you guys have any ideas? It's now going to be fall. What do you like to see? When you go out to drink, what do you like to see? I have always been a believer, especially with my restaurant teams, that if my staff enjoys it, they're going to sell it. They love selling their favorites. And I know they have their favorites because I see a lot of Palomas going out. I see a lot of the Mocha Hill going out and the Deserted Island, which is our mango slushy tiki cocktail because they like it. They like how it looks. They like how it tastes. And they're like, oh yeah, these are my favorites. So they're excited about it. And I would rather have the staff excited about what they're selling instead of just, whatever, here's this thing that's on my menu. So it becomes a group effort. I'll usually ask the bartenders first because they're behind the bar most. And then we'll work on it together. And then we might pull one of the servers and say, hey, what do you think of this? Can you straw taste it? See what you think? I'm like, okay, I like it, but I don't like it. Okay, well, what can we do? Or I'll just let the bartender sometimes come up with stuff and they go, I said, can you come up with something with this style or this flavor profile? And they'll actually come to me with cocktails into the office and they go, okay, here, try this one and try this one and we'll taste it and we'll see, okay, this one needs a little bit more body. This one doesn't have enough bitterness. I really like the color, but can we elevate it a little further? What can we do to take it to another step? Can we make it a little bit more interesting or... Maybe we need to tone it down. Maybe it has too many things to it. Can we balance it somehow? And we'll work back and forth as a team to find something that really works. You might have picked up on how glowingly she talked about the team's process here, but we wanted to highlight something we loved about Maritza's approach as head of the cocktail program. She pulls her customers' help for input on naming the drinks. This makes people feel more comfortable, more involved, and more invested. I know that if I were asked to help name a favorite cocktail of mine, I'd be all the more likely to tell my friends about that bar and come back for repeat visits time and time again. Second thing, involving her team in the cocktail development process, as Maritza would say, if the staff enjoys it, they're going to enjoy selling it. These approaches she takes are simple, but they're illustrative of her mindset for creating a community and culture at Dirty Habit. We now honed in on the cocktails themselves. Maritza's made us a drink off their menu called the Mocajillo. As we sipped on those, she told us about what types of drinks they shoot for at the bar program. So if the guest feedback is saying, hey, it's really good, but I can only have one, then it's not worth it to me. It has to be a sessionable cocktail. You have to be able to have more than one. Otherwise, it's like drinking an espresso teeny. You have one and you're done. Mm -hmm. I love that. Sessionable. I don't think I've ever heard that term before, but but I'd love the idea of just like, it's great to have one cocktail, but like, what's the fun of just having one, right? You want to have a couple or maybe you want to move on to something. You know what I mean? Like, I love that approach. I don't think we've heard that yet. That's such a really unique thing to think about when when concocting a new cocktail from the beginning. I love that approach. You hear it with the beer industry. So you hear it with session IPAs. Being sessionable, it's like you do it in sessions. You can do it over and over again. And I wanted to apply that same idea to cocktails. It's good if you can have one, But will it make you want another one? Or will it drive your palate to go in another direction? Hey, I tried this one. Now I think I want to try this one because it's similar or it has a similar style or I'm going in this direction. Some people just go all over the menu. They'll go from coconut. They'll go to tequila and citrus next. And go, I can't follow you, but you know what? Have a good time. (laughs) And (laughs) And let me know how you feel tomorrow. (laughs) It's like, you know what? And don't call me tomorrow. Trust me. Yeah. You're probably not going to be happy. And yeah. I tried to warn you, <laughs> you know, but we'll go in a different direction. If you like this, what can I do to make sure that you're drinking it again? Because I don't like holding on to batches and I don't like having to not make everything fresh. So mm-hmm. that's why every Tuesday, at least one bartender is here 
juicing citrus and making new batches and making new syrups and putting fruit together just so that everything stays fresh. Again, we talked about shelf life earlier. We don't want a very long shelf life, but at least a week's worth Mm -hmm. for it to last. Let's talk about, because a lot of things you just said there made me think of what we're drinking right now from it tastes like something else to you want it to be sessionable. So why don't you go ahead and explain what we're drinking right now and we can go into the whole idea behind it. So what you have right now is our mocha heel. It is a old-fashioned style cocktail with noble oak double barrel bourbon, which is a heavier double oak bourbon, and then a little bit of Mr. Black coffee liqueur, liquor 43, and Bogart's bitters for a little bit of that herbaceousness and chocolatey flavor to it. And it's just spritzed on with the oils of an orange peel, and then the orange peel is left inside over a big rock. The idea for it is that I came across a Katahio for the first time when I was in Vegas. And won't you explain what a Katahio is? So for the people who don't know what a Katahio is, it is a Spanish cocktail with just liquor 43 and espresso, very bitter espresso. But when you mix it together, it's this nice kind of like chocolatey, smoky, rich, citrusy Mm -hmm. blend of flavors. Great as an after-dinner drink. I actually enjoyed drinking it just Anytime in the morning when you wake up, you get a little espresso. It's like like a breakfast (laughs) cocktail. You do it with like a... We've all been there. Of course. Same like an Irish coffee. You do it anytime. So I wanted something similar. And I had been chasing this idea of doing a carajillo that was approachable for people who had never had Spanish cocktails. So when we worked on it, I said, I I had some liquor 43 and we had the Mr. Black. And I said, what can we do? And I had told the bartender, I said, I wanted something that was spirit forward. A lot of the cocktails that we had come up early in the season were very fruity and very sweet and, in my early opinion, kind of basic. And I wanted to stay away from that. I said, we need something that's spirit forward. So we just kind of started playing with the stuff. And you'll see me move behind the bar and pull different bottles down, open up a bottle and smell it. Go, no, I don't want that one. Put another one and grab another bottle and go, hmm, that's not where I want to go. And I pulled down the Noble Oak and I said, you know what? I like the notes in this one. It reminds me of charred wood. It reminds me of chocolate. Let's play with it. It took a couple of tries to get it to there and adjusting the portions of it. But once we got to that little bit of chocolate, that little bit of coffee and that bourbon in there, everything just kind of came together. I said, you know what? This is actually really good. The the one thing I, I do love about this and Joey, our writer, and I were drinking it when you first crafted for us. It was you get hit with a coffee right off the bat. And like, it tastes like a Katahio where you get that almost espresso feel, but it's only a coffee liqueur. And you get that chocolatey, almost like aftertaste with that woody feel as well. It's as close to it. I guess the best way I could put it is like, they're completely different, but also the same, if that makes any sort of sense, because they're crafted completely differently. The only thing that's similar is going to be the Liquor 43. But I love coffee. Who doesn't love coffee? People nowadays, it's like if you're going to have coffee liqueur, it's going to be like Kahlua or it's going to be an espresso martini or something like this. This is something that you can sip, but also sessionable, as you talked about, that you can have multiple times over and over again and not get all jacked up because you're drinking coffee. Right. Well, and I've seen it go out to tables several times, several times, and we actually go through so many oranges doing the orange peel. Then we actually use the oranges that they actually go back to the kitchen and get used for other stuff. But we're going through so many oranges. We're doing like two to three pounds every week of big oranges just to get peels for this because it's so popular. And it really doesn't have that same style without that orange peel, especially the oils in it really bring out that chocolate note. And it reminds you of that orange chocolate candy 
but it's always like a bitter chocolate. Yes, that's a gr- orange chocolate candy. That I was trying to figure out what it was going to taste. That's exactly what Remember it's like. Remember those like chocolate orange balls that if yes. you smack them, it will come into different pieces. And it, it breaks off into little slices. Yeah. yeah. That was the flavor I thought of when I stuck it in there. It's, this reminds me of that candy. This is exactly that. Yeah. But also not. Like it's still bourbon. And nobody ever thinks of bourbon as something that you can put with coffee. Mm-hmm. It was put vodka with coffee and rum with coffee. And that's why Kahlua didn't work for this because it's got that rum note. Mm-hmm. Not to say that I don't love rum. I love mm-hmm. a good age rum. I love old-fashioned oh, rum yeah. cocktails. But trying to do it with something that people don't think of, I think is still one of those things that we like to do here at Dirty Habit is finding things that you didn't think of using and putting it in that cocktail. Like everyone knows it, you know, tequila and citrus go together. But I actually made something with apple brandy and mezcal the other day. Why would you put those two together? Actually, because it worked really good. If you take a mezcal espadín, it has like those nice vegetal notes that actually go with apple really well. And it's just kind of playing with it. But the carajillo or the mochajillo, and that's why it's mochajillo because it's that coffee, but also chocolate note. That's how we came up with the mochajillo. Is there a particular either liqueur or idea or is there something that you've wanted to always just try and make a cocktail, like an idea that you just haven't nailed yet? Or is there something that's like kind of like that, I don't know, you haven't got it there quite yet, but you you really have been working on trying to make it? There's always a couple of things that are just barely out of my reach. I always want to try something different. And I see all these liqueurs always sitting around. In every bar that I've ever worked in, we've got a collection of liquors that nobody has ever touched. It's all dried up and hard and nobody wants to open them anymore because you don't even remember what they were for. Galliano is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to come up with. I still haven't come up with something that I really enjoy with Galliano because nobody likes that licorice flavor, but I can play with Fernet enough that I can make a pretty decent shot or a shooter with Fernet that is not just another shot of Fernet for every San Francisco bartender and server. But there's always something that I'm trying to find. And then they're always coming out with new cocktails or new liqueurs and new things to add in. So now what can I do with it? I actually found a bergamot liqueur back there and trying to figure out what to do with that. I said, this is really cool. How can I use this? I have Earl Grey tea. Maybe I can do something with that. And it's a constant thing. Every time I see something different in the bar or I open something up and I go, okay, that smells really unique. What can I do with this? You're not the first person to mention Earl Grey tea. We've heard that a couple times throughout the entire series where some people have figured out some, I don't know if it's a trend or where it's going, but that seems like that is a uh, an ongoing idea that a lot of bartenders and folks in your position have, have thought about. I think it's because Earl Grey has just so many different flavors and botanical notes to it that you start thinking like, okay, well, it smells like this and it smells like this, but it's also a tea. Teas are really good for making syrups and making gastriques and other, you know, I could probably make a tincture with it. So how can I get that Earl Grey flavor without it being the tea and playing with different stuff? Earl Grey has been super popular recently, especially because it's got those bergamot notes. And I think people look for those unique styles. Again, why I think gin is super popular here in San Francisco is they're looking for something that's different. It's not vodka. It's not tequila. It's not your white rums. I think people are trying to get away from that. And I think getting out of the house after being stuck in it for several months and people have kind of taught themselves about liquor a little bit more or about wine or about beer and they want to try different things. And I think as we talked about earlier is trying to make Dirty Habit a place that is approachable. 
it's having that uniqueness that people want to try things, but they don't want it so far out in left field that they have no idea what they're reaching for. It still has to be approachable. I think Earl Grey is one of those things that people are familiar with, but how can we use it in a different way that you don't think of other than ice cream? We hope by now you're craving a mochahilla yourself and definitely be on the lookout for something featuring Earl Grey tea on the cocktail menu in the near future. We had an awesome conversation with Maritza, and now to wind down our conversation with her last call story. She's had 16 years in the hospitality industry, and before that, she worked in jobs like customer service, auto mechanics, and even a TSA agent. Maritza has seen a lot of things, so we expected her story to be good, and she did not let us down. I think the wildest story I've had was, you know, I went to the host closet, not here, at another location. I went to the host closet, and I was looking around for something, and I saw this cup in the closet. And it looked like somebody left their tea. And I said, what the heck is this? I picked it up and I said, oh shit, it's warm. Why is this cup warm? And I wasn't sure what to do with it. And I, I called one of the other servers over. I said, come here, come here, come here. And I said, what do you think that is? And she goes and she touches it. She goes, ew, I think I know what that is. I don't want to say what it is. And I said, I swear to God, I think that's pee in a cup. And I only had one host that day. And I said, no one else has a key to this closet except for me. And I know where the restroom is. So, of course, I called a couple other people over just to verify. Two of the bartenders. Actually, the bartender, the bar back. And I called him over and I said, hey, can you guys just verify for me? Grab some gloves. Let's, let's just see what it is. They open it up. They're like, I can't really smell anything. I said, yeah, but I have a feeling it's pee. Can you just go take it downstairs and dump it out? And they did. And they came back. They said, you know when you pee? And I said, well, you guys tell me because... I'm not a guy. I don't pee the same way you guys do. They say, well, you know when you pee and you go in a really strong stream and it bubbles? This bubbled. And I said, okay, that's 100% pee. And I took photos of it and everything just so I had, I had photo evidence of this thing that was in the closet. And I went to the host and I said, hey. The host was a, a man. A male. Mm-hmm. And I said, hey, I found this thing in the closet. What was it? And he goes, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Okay, well, somebody peed in a cup and left it in the closet. I will find out who it is because there's only one set of keys and I have the other one. And and there's DNA tests. Well, we didn't have to go through the <laughs> we didn't have to go through the DNA test. I think I you rattled his cage a little bit. Yeah, I, I intimidated him enough that when he came back after his three days off and we sat him down in the office, he broke down crying. And I said, Why? Why would you do this? And he goes, Well, because I got written up for leaving the host stand. And I said, that's because you left the host stand to go have a cigarette and you didn't tell anybody where you went. I said, this is a whole other thing. I said, what confuses me more is that had you walked another 15 feet, you were at the bathroom. It was just the other side of the hotel lobby. It's a small lobby. I, I'm very confused. And it became a whole sob story. And the bartenders after, because of course everyone else found out about it. <laughs> they laughed because the, the guy was a redhead. And they said, we're going to call this the great ginger beer incident. Because <laughs> we had no idea. They said, is it beer? Is it tea? I said, this is the ginger beer incident. But yeah, that was that might have been the craziest is finding pee in my host stand. Actually, when they opened it up to smell it, a little bit spilled on the floor. Oh, God. And so I called him out on it. And I said, you got to clean this up. This is your host stand. You're the host. You got to keep this closet clean. And so he got a napkin and he wiped it up. I said, oh my God, okay, well, you got to throw that napkin away. He puts it behind the open table screen. And I said, oh my God, throw that away in the trash, not the laundry bin. Throw that away and go wash your hands. I swear to God. He went off 
And we just closed out the rest. And I said, we're going to talk about this another day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, is, this is probably like the grossest, wildest thing that I've ever had. That's <laughs> amazing. That's just a funny story. <laughs> the great ginger beer yeah, incident. That was a great ginger beer. Well, that concludes the whole interview. Where can people find more about Dirty Habit, how to make reservations? The best way is to go through our website. So it's dirtyhabitsf.com. Just take a look and see what we have going on. We do all of our bookings through OpenTable or people can just give us a call, have any questions, you know, send us a quick email. They can call the Hotel Zellos. They'll direct it to my voicemail if I'm not in the office, which I usually am. Do you guys have an Instagram or anything like that? We do have an Instagram. It's Dirty Habit SF. So if you want to see a lot of the photos, things are doing new cocktails, definitely follow the Instagram. We occasionally do have influencers coming in through here. So you'll see other posts from other people showing their experience here. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. It's super insightful. You are our first hotel bar, which is awesome. And I just love your story. I love the idea from the, the conception, your history. Like It was all super, super, it was just really engaging. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. That's it for this episode of Muddler. Next time, we go to the conclusion of this season and one of SF's premier cocktail bars located at 20th and Florida, Trick Dog. The Muddler is a Studio Pod Media original podcast. I'm your host, TJ Bonaventura. Our writer is Joey Mezzatesta. Editing and music provided by Nodalap. For more information, make sure you subscribe and rate us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Go to themuddlerpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at themuddlerpodcast.com.